the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now you got to sing along with this song. This is a great one. Is that the Ronettes? Ah, <laughs> I still remember. That's good. That's how. This is how I check on uh, <clears throat> whether I'm moving into the uh, golden sunset of my life. If I re- do, I still remember the names of the groups that do that do these great rock and roll songs like this. This was a great one by the Ronettes for Christmas time. Uh, guys, you guys weren't even. In in vitro on this. I mean, you. <laughs> I'm just telling you that this this had to be like 63 or 64. Was it 63? Hey, close. Okay. It was at that. How do you say? Yeah, you're you're in the area, Dave. Okay. So anyway, I mean, I remember those songs. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that song is featured in uh, Christmas Vacation as well. You'll hear it in the background being played. Uh, as yes, well. it is. All right. Yep. What can I say? It's a great Christmas song. It really is. It 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 uh, it did very well on the charts. So Jr. is here as well as Seth, and it's good to hear you guys' voices again. Hope that uh, you know you had a good week off last week. I was uh, in Florida. How's that? Oh, nice. It was nice. It was. I walked. I got on the plane. It was 35 degrees here in uh, Little Rock. I got off the plane in Orlando, and it was 80 degrees and sunny. Oh, that's <laughs> the ticket right there. Yeah, Thanks for the great. invitation. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was it was fun. I had a good time, and I went uh, went to uh, spend two days at Universal Studio Park and had just a great time. When's the mm. last When's the last time you guys have been there? Oh, in a while. Well, you, yeah, I've, I've actually never been before, Dave. Oh, you got to go, man. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. We always did Magic Springs as a kid. We'd do the season passes and would sure. go six, seven times over the summer. I mean, we knew every inch of Magic Springs here. Well, that's a good. That's a good park too. I mean, we we talk about Magic Springs a lot on this show. It's a good place to go. It's close by, as well as uh, about a couple hours to the north, go to Branson, go to Silver Dollar City up there. That's a good place to go as well. In fact, I ran into some Arkansas people because I was wearing an Arkansas hoodie uh, while I was there because it was a little bit, uh, you know, cool in the morning. I take it off in the afternoon and put it back on in the evening. But, I, you know, they came up and were asking where I was from, and I was telling them, and they said, you know, if I don't go here, I'm going to uh, – to Magic Springs, and if not there, I'm heading up to Silver Dollar City. So, 
I really like yep. both of those places. I like I like Silver Dollar City. It's a good place up there, and I like uh, you know Hot Springs as well. What about you, uh, Jr.? I've never been to Universal, but we've you know been a couple of times down to Disney World. Okay. Um, so you know, uh, but yeah, I love I love Magic Springs. I love when they do the Magic Springs. That's my favorite part when they break it down to the big. Uh, Halloween, oh yeah, theme park. Um, but yeah, so I've never done Universal. My brother has, and he loves it. He's done both. Now Universal uh, cool. and Universal, and he loved Universal. So. You know they they built a Harry Potter lookalike village, and what's mm. what's really cool if you're into Harry Potter at all. And I've watched the movies, but now I'm not like a lot of the when you go to Harry Potter Village and Universal, you think you're at a Druid convention. <laughs> they're all they're all wearing these robes and stuff with the hoods and all of that, you know, and walking around with wands and and all that. Now, I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't do any of that. But I did ride those roller coasters and I had a blast. That was a whole lot of fun. I mean, the, that their their idea of a roller coaster in some of them is totally different than the roller coasters that you typically ride. There's one, I don't know what, it, I forget which one it was. And uh, you sit down and it locks you in and you're, you're, you're sitting next to each other in the ride. And you feel like you're floating through this castle. And it turns you upside down and around and drops you down. And you, you got dragons chasing you. And you're, you're playing that, uh, that game that they play in the Harry Potter book with the with the bird or whatever that thing is. Quidditch? Yeah, Quidditch. They have that. And it was a lot of fun. I just I just had a great, great time. But the last one, uh, uh, this new ride that they have that's just opened about eight months ago, I'm telling you what, you sit on what looks like a motorcycle, and next to you, the partner that you're with or somebody that you don't even know uh, is, is in the... Um, the riding car, so it looks like a World War One uh, motorcycle from from the Nazis or something, and you you get in this thing and it locks you in, and then it lets you go. You go from zero to sixty, I think, in about two seconds. Because it's uh, I was talking mm. to uh, talking about it with Joe from Joe's Garage yesterday because it's it's all electric driven, so it's not like the old roller coasters where they had you know the click 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 as you go up the hill and then it drops you. It doesn't do that. It just like it's like you shot out of a slingshot, and uh, man, it was a great ride. It was just intense and it was fun. I had a great time with that one. I'm a I'm a I'm a roller coaster connoisseur. You know, I did like you get it. a big old glass of butter beer while I you did. were there? I didn't get just one. <laughs> I drank about ten of them. <laughs> I, I, I first thing I did is uh, when they started serving it on Friday afternoon, I got a frozen butter beer. Have you had the frozen one yet? Oh no! Oh, no. it's good. It's good. It's the best way I can put it. It's like having a clean a uh, 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 one of those uh, slushes uh, from uh, Sonic, where they put cream the cream slushes. It's like that, mm-hmm. and it's good. Oh man, it's good. Then I had the regular one, and then that night I went to the uh, Three Brooms Bar. Uh, <laughs> I ate lunch at the Three Brooms, and then I went to the bar that evening, and I had a uh, 
a hot butter beer, and hot is the way to have it. Oh, that was mm. good. It was mm-hmm. really good. For people who've never had it, it tastes like butterscotch, and it is so good. That's the first time I'd had that. I was really impressed by it. It was good. It was good. All right, so I got I'm, enough about uh, Universal, guys. I mean, I mean, I know the listeners are interested, but not overtly interested because I told them well, we we're going to talk about local politics, and I want to talk about the upcoming session uh, that will start in January tomorrow. Just for everybody's uh, knowledge, because uh, this is something that's going to be big in the session. The stand your ground law will be big. The NRA will be here with uh, Senator Bob Ballinger in the 6 o'clock hour tomorrow. So you'll want to hear what they have to say. And uh, they are going big time after Stand Your Ground this year uh, at the uh, um, at the, at the session. But what I'm hearing, and guys, you, you tell me if you're hearing the same thing. The problem is not going to be in the Senate this year. I mean, last year or two years ago, we ran into a problem with Cooper killing Stand Your Ground in the uh, Judiciary Committee and uh, not letting it get to the floor. This time it looks like there's some problems over in the House side. Are you hearing the same thing in the Judiciary Committee? Uh, well, so I'll just uh, kick it off. I, okay. I think that jump on right, in. <laughs> yeah, I'll just jump right on in. Um, <clears throat> I, I think right now what we're, we're – I don't know specifically – uh, the issues on on the house, and I think right now you've got to remember you've got uh, a fairly um, sizable new class uh, coming into the house from uh, elections in November, um, and I think that the house has um, you know uh, good leadership at the helm. Uh, they've they've got an agenda for for their caucus. Um, they do they do seem. Uh, to have, um, you know, really their ducks in a row going into the session. You know, I think on the flip side, though, Dave, I know you mentioned, you know, less of a problem on on, on the um, House side than or the Senate side now, more so on the House. But I think you're going to see some interesting dynamics play out on the Senate side this year because I think there's probably about three different factions uh, in the Senate, um, you know, as far as, you know, uh, different groups with different uh, uh, sort of agendas and, and goals. I don't think we've seen that, at least not uh, in the recent past. So I, I say all that to say, you know, we're in mid-December right now. Um, you know, January 11th is when the session kicks off. So I think you're going to continue to kind of see some movement from both sides. Um, you know, you're going to see a little bit more clarity on their agenda items, their priorities, uh, we'll be able to know a little bit more as we get closer, kind of the clarity of the situation as far as uh, what we can expect for January. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I say all that. It's a long-winded answer, Dave, to say I think it's a work in progress, but we're getting there. Okay. Seth? Yeah, I would agree with what JR said. I'd add additionally, I think this is gearing up to be – uh, perhaps one of just the most packed sessions. Now, I, I haven't really met an unpacked session or something that already <laughs> uh, wasn't jam-packed with any number of issues. But, I mean, from telemedicine to scope of practice to uh, a litany of economic bills, as we are, can finally see some light at the end of this tunnel now that we have a vaccine. And we know at some point next year we're going we're gonna to be a lot better off than we are today. And, 
and people's confidence are going to be restored. Uh, There's going to be any number of issues around uh, the Capitol, and and certainly stand your ground will will be one of those issues. But, Dave, actually, we'll have an issue even before we get to January 11th. I don't know how close you've you've paid attention to Jim Sorvillo and Ashley Hudson and the fallout from that election. Um, But that is an issue right now before the Claims Commission. They make a recommendation that goes before the House. Ultimately, the state House and the state Senate are the governing bodies responsible for who sits in each of their chambers. And so the Claims Commission, they just they're on a fact finding mission. They're like a special master with the Supreme Court. They just hear everybody out and then present a report to a body to make that decision. So that Claims Commission, the hearing is set for January 4th. They could make a recommendation that a new election is to be ordered, granted all the facts on the ground, which we could go more in depth, but I do stress there's some depth to cover that. They, they could order that, and that could be an issue the House takes up. The existing House, as it sits today, not the new members, the existing House could take up that issue even before we get to January 11th. So uh, mm-hmm. 2021 is going to be a jam-packed year. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'd say one more thing, too, Dave. On top of everything Seth just covered, you got to remember this is um, – this is the COVID era legislative session, uh, meaning that there's a lot of parameters that are going to be in place that are very, very different from sessions past. So, you know, whether it's the, you know, the House and Senate still trying to work on, you know, where, um, you know, where, where will the public be uh, during a committee meeting? Uh, how do you get the public uh, you know, how do you put them in a position to be able to testify um, for or against a bill? Yep. Um, you know, you mentioned stand your ground. I mean, judiciary, there's always fireworks in judiciary, but there's always, you know, a ton of people that come in and either sign up to talk for or against a bill. Well, it's going to be a little bit different this year. And my understanding is that the House and Senate want to accommodate, you know, whoever wants to do that. But you've also got to do it in a way that's safe um, and, uh, and and protects everybody involved. So it, there's just going to be a lot of – it's just going to be a very different session. So where Seth said it's going to be jam-packed, absolutely. Um, you're going to see a lot of legislation, but you're also going to see a lot uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel a little cleaner because you're not going to have all of these House resolutions that you've seen in the past. Um, on the floor, a lot of these, you know, um, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to say meaningless, but, you know, there, there's nothing, there's not substance behind all these different resolutions that you see in the House. Those aren't going to happen this year just due to COVID. So you may see a little bit cleaner session as far as what's actually coming out. But but there's just, it's just so much going on heading into January 11th. Um, we could see the shortest session uh, in our modern era. Uh, and, and again, we could see it stretch out to that 90-day uh, tick uh, that that we're used to, given the, the amount of tax cuts being proposed and redistricting and, and all sorts of stuff. So I don't think anyone really knows what to expect uh, this session. But, you know, I think fireworks is certainly uh, a popular vote. So. All right. Well, we've got more to talk about. we got a lot to talk about when we come back. J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group is with us, and Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP here on the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. 
All right, back with you. We got Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP. We've got uh, J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group. Guys, I've heard now. I've not been able to verify it completely that we're not going to be in the uh, the Capitol. That we're going to be over in the Big Mac Building. Is that what you all are hearing? I haven't heard that. I, I imagine they'll put as much in Big Mac as they can because of the size, but. The state house itself and the state senate, of course, have both been outfitted with the plexiglass um, to seat all the members. And I know they've they've been occupying those rooms up to this point. So I uh, I hadn't heard that. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, you've got a lot of uh, uh, cooks in the kitchen here, um, Dave. When you look at the capitol itself, so you know you've got the senate end, uh, senate offices, the chamber, committee right. rooms, the house end. Same thing. And then you've got the Capitol itself. So, you know, entrance into the Capitol uh, is there's going there, there's going to be there's going to have to be a lot of conversations had with, you know, the secretary of state's office, the Senate in the House. Ed. I know that they have, um, you know, some some space for some media uh, in the committee rooms. Um, but it, but the rest, I believe, will be some sort of pool. Um, and I don't know what the access to the Capitol will be like during um, during the actual session, because, again, you're going to have a lot of these rooms that are, uh, you know, quote unquote, <clears throat> you know, these holding rooms or bullpens, as the word has been tossed around, uh, where, you know, uh, you know, whether it's lobbyists or, or um, uh, you know, people who are testifying or staff or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, they had these designated rooms. So uh, to Seth's point, they are going to be designating uh, and utilizing uh, the Big Mac building quite a bit just because of the space. Um, But there will be activity in the Capitol as well. So, again, I kind of mentioned that we're still about a month out. They're still dotting the I's, crossing the T's over there. Um, But, uh, you know, it's kind of a – uh, it was put best yesterday um, that it's you know trying to shoot at a moving target. It continues to change, um, but they're they're doing the best they can. So, right. well, this will be the first time for myself in nearly, I think, uh, thirteen or fourteen years that I have not broadcast live from the general session because I'm in the mornings now and not in the afternoons. So I'll be uh, hopefully able to get enough. Uh, uh, politicians to filter through my my studio that we can keep up on all of this stuff there's a lot of stuff coming let me just throw out some some different uh, topics that we'll bring up in the next half hour how's that uh, let's talk over a fight over the emergency act here in the state of arkansas a lot of people want to make sure that the governor doesn't take on you know try to put a a, a crown on his head no matter this governor or any other governor, and call all the shots into in any kind of emergency situation. Uh, the stand your ground law, uh, the uh, the whole hate crime legislation, just those three issues right there are going to be huge coming up in this next session. So I told you I've got I got Bob Ballinger, uh, state senator, coming in and the NRA tomorrow to talk about stand your ground. Hate crime legislation. Jerry Cox is going to be on today in my six o'clock hour to talk about that. And uh, there's some bad blood between family council and the governor's office over that. Yesterday, the family council had a a, a, a big uh, 
press conference because Arkansas was named the number one pro-life state in the in the United States, and the governor didn't show up. The governor didn't come, and uh, everybody feels like it's because of uh, their stand against hate crime legislation. And uh, you know all the people who have been talking about the Emergency Act. So we've got to come back after the news and talk about that. So stay tuned, you guys. We've got things to discuss. want to remind you healthy volunteers are still needed for a COVID-19 vaccine clinical research study. The study is still enrolling here in the Little Rock area. If you want to help uh, them research an investigational vaccine for COVID-19, By participating in this clinical trial, you'll have access to no-cost study-related care. You'll also have the opportunity to help advance COVID-19 research. No insurance is required to take part. Uh, If you're an adult who is in good or stable health, you may be able to qualify. If you're interested in learning more, here's what you got to do. It's pretty simple. Call 501-954-7822. 501-954-7822 or go online to see the letter C the number 19 vaccinestudy.com that's the letter C the number 19 vaccinestudy.com and you can find out if you're eligible and uh, now's the time to get involved this is for AstraZeneca and uh, you can be uh, you know get it taken care of guys I don't know if you saw the story that came out today uh, the FDA has approved a home test for COVID-19 that you can buy over the counter. You do not need a doctor's prescription. It will give you results in 20 minutes or less, and it only costs 30 bucks. Yep, yep. You know, Dave, I, I really think that obviously with this vaccine uh, now being available here in the United States, and we're going to see the rollout of that, I've noticed just amongst some friends of mine, just a little bit of a confidence booster. Uh, you you kind of felt like you were down on the ropes, you know, some this year in 2020 has just thrown one thing after the other. But I think particularly as we look to early next year in the spring, hey, I think, uh, you know, post spring break, I think we're really going to see a resurgence of activity across the country. The hospitality industry, which has been so uh, affected in many ways by this pandemic is really going to boom next year. And part, you know, having a home test like that is just once again one more step to getting us to the end of this pandemic. Here's what's crazy: I just heard a story during the break that the National Restaurant Association announced today that nearly, uh, well, over 17 percent. They didn't say how far over, but 17 percent of restaurants in the United States are out of business. Seventeen mm. percent. Mm. And I'm sure in some I, I heard that in San Francisco and and this is a figure hard to get your, your hands around. Eighty five percent of restaurants are closing their doors. Well, you know, it makes uh it makes perfect sense. I mean just here in Little Rock we had news over the um over this week that the E6 Brewing Company, formerly Rebel Kettle, is closing its doors. Um, we've, we've seen a lot of that, um, uh, you know, throughout the state. Uh, these smaller um, restaurants that are either uh, really dependent, obviously, on, um, you know, the traffic they used to get, not getting it anymore. Uh, I think 
one of the biggest things to look for, uh, Dave and Seth, is is now that we've moved into these colder months, um, that's what's going to be so critical for some of these restaurants that have been able to, um, you know, kind of retrofit their outside to have some sort of, uh, you know, patio uh, type service where people could come sit down, eat, but it's all outside. Uh That's more difficult to do now uh, as the temperatures continue to drop. So how does that affect revenue? So look, I agree with Seth. I mean, there's this sort of optimistic, just just kind of this pep in in people's steps now, knowing that the vaccine's coming, um, that it's already making its way into nursing homes and hospitals, and we're seeing the, you know, front page photos of people taking the vaccine. But we're still not out of the woods yet. I mean, oh, there's no. still going to be some really difficult months ahead, especially for our economy. Um, and that's what I think we really have to put a focus on and, and hopefully get some sort of, uh, you know, solid uh, package from the federal government w- once they've, you know, uh, cleaned everything up and then gotten uh, consensus. But I think we need one more, um, you know, one more stimulus to, to help some of these smaller businesses just stay afloat for the next three or four or five months. Well, it's got to be the Republican bill. I got to tell you that I had on. I agree. I had Congressman uh, Hill on yesterday, and it looks like they're very close to this $900 billion bill that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. But uh, he made the statement that it's only the Republican bill that the uh, PPP money will not be added to these businesses' taxes. The people who have taken the PPP and haven't gotten the forgiveness and all of that stuff that goes along with it will have to add that money to their taxes that would that's like here let me help you and then giving somebody a backhanded slap across right. the face right no absolutely and and look you know i have uh so much uh respect and trust uh for uh, uh congressman hill and so if he he's if he's a uh, uh um you know uh, Obviously, he he kind of has a, the ability to kind of look through those that legislation and kind of pinpoint uh, specifics that um, affect businesses the most, given his background. And so I, you know, that's what's so incredible to me, Dave, is that um, I remember we had this conversation back in the summer about this that all of these, all of this, you know, CARES Act funding. Um, and who gets it? And then if you end up getting taxed on it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. People don't have the money to pay their property taxes right now. That's right. Uh, let alone turn around and, and uh, uh, you know, spend the uh, or set aside some of that money to pay their taxes at the beginning of the year. So I agree. Uh, it is it is frustrating um, the lack of common sense sometimes in Washington. But but I do think it's it's good that we've reached that. Um, you know, um, reach that commonality there with the $900 billion package. But it needs to happen. It needs to happen quick so we can uh, keep some of these these businesses from going under. Well, it's got to happen by Friday. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, they're, they're, well, ta- they're, taking, by, they're going on yeah. break after Friday. Well, look, maybe I'm just a little more cynical. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> Friday's the day. If, if, if it's not, you know, Saturday or Sunday or they work next week. I mean, so, yes, Friday's the deadline. That's great. Hopefully they can reach uh, a consensus by then, uh, get that passed and to the American people. Um, but I can tell you they're not going home until it's done. And I think McConnell said as much, and, and that's what I would expect as well. Because they got to, you know, they've got to come up with either a new, you know, budget and, uh, and, and move it forward because uh, the, the – the funding of the government runs out on the 18th. 
Mm-hmm. Or are they going to have another CR? You know, you know, Seth, what do you think? Do uh, you think it's just going to be another continuing resolution to get us into the new year? Well, I, I, I would probably say so, Dave, just because it seems like my entire life has been a continuing resolution. <laughs> in, up to this point. So, uh, the, the big issue with the versions out of the, out of the House bills, out of the Democratic side, of course, Dave, as you know very well, is so much of what has been disguised as small business loans and COVID relief out of the, out of the House versions really encapsulate a lot of poor budgeting issues yes. in states like Illinois and in New York and California and problems that really have nothing to do with the pandemic. They have no doubt been exacerbated by the pandemic, as every aspect of life has. But lots of these budgeting issues that we see in these Democratic states that Speaker Pelosi wants to lend a hand to don't actually have anything to do with with the pandemic. And so ultimately the question is, should the rest of the states that have balanced budget amendments uh, and have to dot their I's and cross their T's and live as you and I live, Dave, and, and make sure the checkbook balances out at the end of the day. Should those states that, that live in a conservative fashion such as that be making up for the liberal spending in other states? And, of course, we think that answer is a is a resounding no. Yes, that's uh, and correct. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But if you do not want a continuing resolution, I would just not ever look at the federal government. <laughs> yeah. Because that, yeah. that is the favorite tool in the tool belt. I'm, I'm going to tell everybody, if they don't come up with a CR, what that means, CR's continuing resolution means continue on uh, paying the bills, so to speak. If they don't come up with that or something uh, along those lines, Every government worker and every uh, member of the armed forces won't get a paycheck. It's that simple. Yep. 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 And you don't want to do that during Christmas. That's exactly right. Um, You know, you're... You're 100 uh, percent accurate on that. Uh, that would be a terrible Christmas gift from the uh, federal government for um, a good portion of, of our country. And, and so you've got the CR, you've got the looming uh, shutdown possibility out there. And then, of course, you've got this um, situation with uh, the stimulus money uh, that needs to get into uh, the economy as soon as possible. Uh, you know, the other thing, too, Dave, is that this idea that there won't be state um, and local funding in this particular bill, at least not as of right now, um, because there's this sort of red line by Republicans saying that, you know, we are not going to bail out some of these cities, as Seth mentioned, some of these states that have just been so poorly mismanaged. Uh, We're not just going to pour money uh, into their state that may, again, have nothing to do with COVID. They're just going to use it to bail themselves out. Right. On the flip side of it, there are a lot of states that have utilized that CARES Act money uh, the right way uh, for for a number of issues that have really helped. Uh, we've seen it here in Arkansas, and we've seen it in some surrounding states as well. Um, but that's what's so frustrating to me is that you have this sort of, you know, handful uh, of cities and states that have just been uh, very irresponsible throughout all of this as far as their budgets go. Um, and it's going to end up hurting some of these states that could utilize uh, additional federal funding for uh, d- different programs and things like that to support their local economies. And I think it's just another stark contrast between conservative, good conservative leadership and our Republican governors. And then, of course, the flip side, which is your, your Cuomo's and, and, and Newsom type 
uh, folks in these liberal democratic states. All right. We got to get a final break in, gentlemen. Let's do that. Jr. is here. And he's with the Gilmore Group. And then, of course, Seth is here from the Arkansas GOP. They'll finish it up with me in the next uh, about 10 minutes here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Hey, I just got this from Seth. Seth, thank you for this uh, news item. I had missed it. Uh, And that is that former Governor Mike Huckabee is coming home to Arkansas. uh, Asked about reports on social media that he's returning to his native state. Huckabee responded in a text, true, back as of this week. The two-time presidential candidate won't be living out of a suitcase. He's already got a residence in central Arkansas. Huckabee, who served uh, as governor from 96 to 2007, said he intends to sell his house on the Florida panhandle. Now, saying that, guys, let me just, this is this is going to stoke the fires hot. You know it is. Does this mean Sarah's going to run? Well, that's what a lot of people took away from the news yesterday. I'll say the governor, former governor's reasoning, Dave, and you will understand this better than Jr. and I will, uh, was, of course, that his grandchildren live here in Arkansas. I understand and it's much easier to see them here, right, than in the panhandle of Florida. So a lot of folks think this alludes to a, a gubernatorial run from Sarah. Uh, we'll have to see what ultimately happens as we now uh, gear as we leave 2020 and gear up for 2022. Uh, I do think uh, whether Sarah Sanders gets in the race or not, we're still going to have a very impassioned and fiery primary race uh, for governor going oh, into 2022, as well as attorney general, lieutenant governor, and, and on down the list. Yeah, it's. I'm going to tell you what, 22 is going to be interesting, not only on the gubernatorial side, but on all a lot of the other uh, you know, constitutional offices that are out there. I mean, who who wants to be lieutenant governor? I I got a list that's probably eight names long that I've heard of people who are interested. I've got a bunch of names that are looking to run for auditor. I've got a bunch of names that are looking to run for uh, treasurer. So uh, who knows who's going to be where? Yeah, and you know, I think that again is just another element to this session. You know, you've got the governor's last session, and there's some infighting in the Senate, or at least uh, uh, you know what people uh, deem to be infighting in the Senate. And then you've got uh, you know the fact that all of these legislators are jockeying for position in some of these open seats heading into 2022. And Dave, I think you're spot on. I mean, Attorney General. Lieutenant Governor, State Treasurer, Auditor. I mean, there's a lot that's going to be up for grabs. And then, you know, um, uh, with redistricting as well in 2022, there's just going to be a lot of of sort of, again, I guess the best word is just jockeying this this, uh, this session and sort of, you know, some grandstanding, if you will, just to kind of stand out from the rest and so that's just another element that's that's going to take place this session uh, that's really going to kind of fire us all up heading into 2022 it's going to be very very interesting i'm kind of looking forward to it you know what what the next two years are going to be good for talk radio yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah your industry's your industry right here in uh in central arkansas is going to do real well the next couple of years yeah right? i i agree I want to go back to a story that uh, that broke a couple of days ago and then get your guys' take on this. And this goes back to how things are going to shake out in in the the legislature because I think you're going to be able to tell who's got 
a real run for the uh, the gubernatorial seat. I mean, we know that the lieutenant governor wants to be governor. We know that the AG wants to be governor. We don't know yet if Sarah Sanders wants to be governor. I'm hearing more and more every day that she's going to run. Uh, but you, you're going to want to watch which factions start coalescing around these people because that'll tell you who's who's got some of the swagger out there to, to throw around because folks that are in the uh, legislature are going to want to have a, a, a hand up, so to speak, uh, when whoever they think is going to be governor becomes governor. Thursday, December 10th, Governor Asa Hutchinson asked the Arkansas legislature to affirm, quote, the current public emergency by convening a committee of the whole. Five days later, the Speaker of the Arkansas House responded on Twitter denying the governor's request. Quote, after reviewing the possible processes available, discussions with members, given that at the end of the month we will only be 11 days from the next regular session, I've decided not to convene a committee of the whole, said the Speaker Matthew Shepard. That's kind of a... Kind of a slight to the governor, is it not? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm telling you, I mean, this is the governor's final legislative session. He does not at all see himself as a lame duck. He has a, a um, sizable agenda of things that he wants to accomplish. And, and he's mentioned it before. He wants to continue to cut the income tax in Arkansas. He said he'd like to get it down to the 5% area. There's some other things as far as economic development goes that he's focused on. Um, and, and I think, look, uh, I think uh, Speaker Shepard and the governor's office has always had a good relationship with, with both chambers' leadership. Um, I think in this case it really was probably about um, just what the Speaker Shepard said, the processes, you know, and, and how we can get people here for a committee of the whole uh, to take a vote on this. And I, and I think part of it was, yeah, there was probably some that didn't didn't feel the need to do this because of where they stand. Um, but there were probably other concerns, too, about how you do this in a way that's that's uh, that's safe um, and doesn't jeopardize, you know, the session, which is just 30 days away. So I don't think I took it as much as a slight as it was just kind of walking through the processes and just um, hearing back from from some of his members that probably made it a little more difficult to uh, to make that happen at this time. Well, Seth, let me ask you to jump in here because I've I've heard my share of Republicans that are not happy with the way the governor continues to use the the emergency clause. What are you hearing? Well, I think going off of what the speaker had said there, the part that really stuck out to me, and I think it's probably what really won the day on this thing, was 11 days. And when you already know everybody's going to be together later, Mm -hmm. um, what's what's the cost for calling them together unless this 11 days is make it or break it? Um, which I don't think people determine that it is, sort of to marry all of these topics together, the session, 2022 primaries, the issues that we're going to see, and just kind of where we're at as a party. It was Tom Cotton at a dinner about a week, maybe two weeks ago now, that said uh, he's in a really good position because in 2022, everybody is on the ballot except for Tom Cotton. So we have we have redistricting coming up, which means that every state senator, normally it's just a third or so on the, on the ballot, 
uh, every two years, but every state senator will be on the ballot. Every representative. That's right. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean they'll receive primary or general opposition, but just as a matter of what could happen, everybody will be on the ballot. Of course, but all of our four representatives are, and Senator Bozeman, uh, that Senate seat will be on the ballot as well. And so it that is one thing to pay attention to, as as Jr. termed it, jockeying uh, in the session for those folks who want to run for auditor or treasurer or a constitutional office. It's going to be a busy year. Yeah, it really is. Guys, we got to let you go. There's just so much more to talk about, but we don't have any more time to talk about it. And I appreciate you coming on today. We won't meet next week because it is Christmas Eve, but we will meet the week after. Thanks so much for being with me today on the Dave Ellswick Show. J.R. Davis and Seth Mays here on my show. Second hour for a Thursday. Supposed to have David Lucas on, but I got a early morning uh, text from him. Something has come up. He cannot make it today. I will uh, work with getting him on in the next few weeks because I want to get into this whole thing about uh, you know the what they're calling a, a reset uh, in in the financial markets and have him maybe talk a little bit about that. And if not him, I will find somebody else that will uh, talk about it. All right, so a couple of things that we brought up in the last hour. My thanks again to J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group and uh, Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP. And that is uh, the governor, uh, former governor, uh, Huckabee, has moved back to uh, Arkansas. And he's uh, got a house somewhere here in central Arkansas. I don't know where. I don't have his personal address uh but uh, i think that that stokes up uh the the fires even more so that uh, uh sarah is going to announce that she's going to run for governor in 2022 and that will make for a very interesting primary i mean this is going to be hot and heavy a lot of money will be spent uh over the next two years a lot of money will be spent over the next two years. And then Seth made a, a you know a statement that I had forgotten about because after redistricting, which will go on, and the Republicans will be doing it this time, first time, first time the Republicans have done it here in the state of Arkansas in over 130-something years. I've never been able to nail down the exact the exact years that uh, the Democrats have had the power in this state. And so you never saw them do redistricting because uh, they always kept changing the rules along the way so that the Republicans could never do it. Used to be that if you held the, if you held the governor's office, you got to do it. And then Frank White won and suddenly, and, and then you had, uh, you know, you had, uh, uh, 
the uh, the, Rock- the Rockefellers won, and because of that, they changed it that it had you know. Then it became more than one person. Became more than just the governor. Uh, became governor AG. You got had you had to have more than one, just one uh, constitutional office. You had to get up to at one time three of the constitutional offices, and then now we've got the we got the three, and uh, you know Democrats flooded money into the state to try to get you to sign uh, to change the methodology again for how to do the redistricting and there was going to be some kind of committee drawn up and in all kinds of rigmarole it was going to be as clear as mud and uh it would kept the republicans from doing the redistricting uh that failed it was found unconstitutional the way that uh, the names were gotten so it wasn't on the ballot so that means the uh, the uh, governor now, Asa Hutchinson, the AG, uh, and the uh, Secretary of State will sit down here in the next few months, and they will start redistricting uh, the state of Arkansas. It's going to be. I want to see if they can get rid of the Fayetteville finger. <laughs> that happened ten years ago. Does everybody remember that one? Huh? Everybody remember that one, BB and uh, Dustin? Was it Dustin McDaniel at the time? Was he the AG at that time, or was Pryor uh, the AG? At the, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, bottom line, uh, they, that's when they they put the the Fayetteville finger into effect uh, to to try to get an area of blue up in the northwest corner of uh, Arkansas. And uh, you know, everybody's it's from the Democrat side too. Always going about gerrymandering. Let me tell you what. Wow. It was there was a lot of finagling going on for that, so uh, you know go back and do a little history uh, reading about that. But we'll see uh, how it all comes about uh, here in the state of Arkansas here in the next couple of uh, weeks. But because that's happening, it means everybody's office is up for grabs. Everybody's got to run for reelection. All the state reps, all the constitutional offices. All of the senators, they all got to run for re-election. Uh, and then you got your four congressmen who have to run for re-election in 22. They do that every two years anyway. And then uh, Bozeman uh, will be running uh, for re-election for Senate. Uh, the only one, and, and Tom Cott, as you heard uh, Seth say in the last hour, Tom Cotton is the only <laughs> Only politician won't have to run for re-election because he was up this time and was uh, was re-elected into uh, his seat again for another six years as senator, uh, as a junior senator uh, from uh, Arkansas. And then your senior senator, which is Bozeman, a lot of people said he wasn't going to run again. Everything that I've heard is, and he's raising money, he's running. He's running. And uh, that kind of makes things a little thinner for the governor because the governor is done being governor in 22 so what does he do where does what does he run for where does he work at because i'm sure he's not going to give up public service i'm sure he's going to keep doing doing that um i don't think he's going to retire just to run his his uh law firm don't think that's going to happen we'll have to wait to hear what he has to say about what he wants to do 
after he's a governor because basically kind of what he says now is I'm zeroing in on governor. But when the session is over, I would think we'll start uh, hearing more about his future plans uh, here in in Arkansas. Uh, Then, of course, you know, we've got former Governor Mike Huckabee coming back from the panhandle in Florida and uh, says that, you know, he wants to be closer to his grandchildren. And believe me, I can understand that. I really can. I can understand you want to be closer to your grandchildren. Um, You know, I've got 12 grandkids, and I'm close to, what is it, uh, three, six, seven of them. The rest of them are old enough now that they're in, well, all but two of the rest of them. So three three more of them are in college or getting married. So bottom line is, you know, be around my grandkids being here is the place for me to be right now. Just is. I see see Eli a lot. I see Gabriel and Cassandra, and I see uh, Ava uh, from my daughter Jennifer. See her a lot. See them a lot. Uh, See Eli about every other week. He comes over, spends the night with us on a Friday night, and we hang out with him and uh, stay close to him uh my son miles uh he brings his sons his three sons over to visit with me uh and uh and linda about uh, every few months they can get up and, and visit with us so uh yeah it's it's important for me to be here in in the central arkansas so i can keep tabs on all these young guys I mean, uh, the ages of those kids goes from, um, might as well call Eli four. He'll be, he'll be four in February. So um, Eli is four. He's the youngest. And we go to the oldest, which would be Gabriel. And he is 18 now. And he is planning and making visits to go uh, where he's going to go for college. And he wants to be an engineer. So he's looking at schools that zero in on engineering. Real proud of him. He does a great job. He's a very responsible young man. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited about him. In fact, I, I saw his team at Cabot High School. His, uh, I think uh, his, um, his team that plays video games, because that's a big thing now. I mean, that's like you play football, you play baseball, you play basketball, you play video games. You get teams now. And uh, his team finished second in the state. So I'm, 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 you can get, did you know this, Heidi, that you can get uh, scholarships for how well you play video games? That just blows my mind. But it's the truth. They, they, have, they have scholarships now. So anyway, that I, I understand what, what uh, uh, former Governor Huckabee some of the decisions that is driving him to come back here to Arkansas. And I, and I, I congratulate him for doing that and being close to his family uh, as far as that. But nonetheless, I do believe that there is a political element to this and that he has come back to help his daughter run for governor here in the state of, uh, Ar- of uh, Arkansas. So we'll see how, all that plays out. We got two years for that to play out now. 
You just got over. You got just got done with the presidential election. Now you got a gubernatorial. You got redistricting. You're going to have you know state senators. You're going to have state reps all running. You're going to have all the all the the, the offices that are out there. They're constitutional. The different people are going to be running for. I tell you what, it's going to be a crazy next two years. Really, really crazy two years. All right. Got to get a break in. Let's do that. And then we'll talk more about some of this because there's a lot of things getting ready to come up in January 11th uh, for the next session uh, here at the General Assembly. And we'll talk about some of the big issues that are going to be uh, facing these guys. And, uh, you know, I, I find a little bit more out of uh, uh, the Speaker of the House uh, denying a, you know, meeting of the whole. Uh, by the state legislature than what uh, Seth and uh, uh, Jr. did. Uh, I think I think it was a little bit of them saying in the legislature to the governor, you are a lame duck, even though he doesn't feel he's a lame duck and that he's got a full agenda. Uh, you, you don't have as much power as you used to. So... And, and I was being real honest. Watch where the people police around. You know, who do they, who are they talking to? And who's throwing their hat in their ring? Is it the lieutenant governor? Uh, when Sarah says she's going to run, which I believe will be in, in the next few weeks, uh, who does she throw her hat towards? And uh, the same thing with the uh, uh, attorney general. You know, where where does she throw her hat at in these? I mean, she's already thrown her hat with the governor on hate crime legislation. We saw that. She uh, came in. She appeared as the attorney, uh, the lieutenant governor uh, yesterday at a big press conference when uh, Arkansas was named the most pro-life state in the U.S. And Jerry Cox will be on at 635 tonight to talk about that. But right now it's 719, and I need to tell you about PI Roofing. My good friend, Joel Johnson and Veronica Johnson, good friends, I should say, not friend. They're two different people. Uh, They are married to each other. But anyway, Joel and Veronica have done a tremendous job putting together a business that puts you first and keeps you taken care of and uh, is run by biblical principles. They are good, good people. I've known them nearly 20 years, and they are good people. Uh, I mean, Joel has taken me up to see the Razorbacks play up in uh, in Fayetteville. Uh, he's got t- tickets to the games, and uh, he's called me from time to time and said, hey, you want to go up and watch a game? I said, yeah, of course I want to go watch a game. So I go with him, and uh, we talk business. We talk how business is, you know, uh, living through the era now of COVID-19. And by the way, they f- follow all the COVID-19 protocols. So when you call them, you tell them that you'd like you, them to come out and just check your roof. You don't know if there's anything wrong, but you want to make sure there's nothing starting that uh, maybe you can't see just visually from standing on the ground and looking up at your uh, at your roof. Uh, you'll want them to come out. They will follow those protocols, and your family will be kept safe. Their workers will be kept safe, and uh, they will follow them. Masks will be worn, all of that, taken care of while they, uh, you know, look at it or if they got to do some work on it when they do work on it you know you need to make sure that roof stays in good stead 
You know, you want to make sure that that happens because that is your last defense against the elements getting into your house. And if they get in your house, if water gets in your house, it can do massive damage before you even know it's doing the damage. So call PI Roofing now. This, these are the people I talk about all the time because I personally use them. 707-3551. 707-3551 or online at piroofing.com. All right, back with you, and uh, let's talk a little bit more about the upcoming session uh, that's going to kick off uh, in early January. I think the 11th is the date that I'm hearing. Again, this will be the first time uh, in a very long time that I will not be broadcasting from the Capitol live uh, during the session. I have done that for the the past uh, decade and a half to keep you up to date on what uh, the politicals are doing uh, now I'm doing mornings. That's not going to be possible for me to go over and, and broadcast live. Nobody going to be there. <laughs> it's going to be that simple. I'll be talking to myself and, and you, and it'd be a big echo behind me. It'll just be like a nice morning recap, you know? Yeah, well. We'll talk about the day before. I really liked being over there in the afternoon because when I was there, people come by and want to sit down and talk and tell people what was going on in committees and things of that nature, uh, and you kept up on what was going on in session. I'm I'm working on that in a different way in that just what you said, Heidi, kind of a recap of getting uh, the, the politicians to come by uh, as they're on their way to the Capitol and to come by the studio because it's on the way and then and sitting down, and I'm not more than a few blocks away. I'm not, not a long distance. And get them in here and hash out the details of what's going on. Because there's a lot of big issues that are going to be talked about now uh, during the the new uh, upcoming session that's coming on, along with redistricting that has to take place. All the different, the primary season in two years. Oh, my Lord, it's going to be, that's just going to be hot and bothered. It really is. That's going to be, it's going to be a hot mess. I think that's the best way I can tell you that because a lot of people want to keep on working within the government and there's only so many places you can land. So uh, we'll see who who's, who's done a good job of putting together the necessary funds to be able to run for AG. I mean, I, I, I've heard one name hard, all right, and that's uh, State Senator Bob Ballinger. I'll ask him that tomorrow. He's going to be here on the Dave Ellswick show tomorrow with the NRA because they're going to talk about stand your ground. And it's important that we talk about that because it got killed in committee two years ago. Shouldn't have. But John Cooper killed it uh, for whatever reason he did and uh, made a big mess of it, to say the least. So uh, he's not a senator anymore. All right. Uh that's not he's he got defeated in the primary so we'll talk about that as well all right let me remind you about hillcrest designer jewelry uh, i've been telling you and i've been pleading with you and now it's it's do it or you know or just wait until after christmas because you if you want something made hopefully eric has got some room to get you in or New Year's, get something for yeah, New Year's. Yeah, get something for New Year's. You, look, it, it's nice to give somebody a nice piece of jewelry any time of the year. 
But the bottom line, if you want to have it wrapped in under the tree, uh, call Eric at 501-246-3655 today. All right, do it today. 501-246-3655 or stop by and visit him at 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard right here in Little Rock and he can talk you through what you need to do. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Here's Rush. All right, let's get back to it. 735, Robert Steinbach, law professor, Bowen School of Law, joins us. Remember, his opinions are his and his alone, and uh, not necessarily those of the School of Law or the university. Robert, I sent you a story today, and college athletics as we know it may change after next year if the Supreme Court uh, rules a certain way. Does this surprise you that we've come to this? No, not at all. In fact, it's good news, and it's long since been coming. Dave, whenever you have a variety of people in a, in a group that tell you that one segment of that group is not entitled to get paid, while all of the others are raking in money like they're dead leaves in the fall, be wary. They're liars and they're thieves. <clears throat> Another example of this, by the way, Dave, is you people can't get paid for donating a kidney. Everybody else in the process gets paid. The doctors, the nurses, the companies that package up the kidneys, the drug makers, everybody else gets paid. The guy who gives up his kidney, by law, written by Al Gore, can't get paid. Same thing here. Everybody, the coaches are raking in money. They can't even count it so much. We have that football coach from Arkansas who now left to go somewhere else, still getting paid by Arkansas because yep. he can't make the same kind of money. I mean, the money is overwhelming, Dave. If you look at ASU, there was just an article in one of the papers. Uh, now, mind you, the um, I think it's the president of ASU makes $350,000. That's by the way, Dave, $350,000. But all the other people at the top of that list making big bucks, they're in the athletics program. So there is money awash. But the athletes, no, sorry, sir. Uh, sorry, young man, uh, young woman. You're not entitled to make any money here. It's because the others are stealing that money from those student athletes. Yeah, it, something that people need to understand. When I played sports in college for instance uh, only basketball and football were full scholarship sports in other words they might give you a little bit of something for playing one of the other sports but you didn't get a full ride so to speak and uh, I got my meals for free I got my books for free Uh, the rest of it I had to come up with so uh, that was uh, you know and that was big deal to me to get my books and to get my the, my meals. I mean, eating is important. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> of course. But, but the bottom line is uh, the the whole place of sports in society has changed since the 70s and and long before that to the 50s and back when it comes to even football and basketball and how much money is being made by the universities. I mean, the football program alone at many universities pays for every other sports program on campus and a lot of other things as well. They're making, you know, millions upon millions of dollars. I mean, look at the SEC network. They make 
hundreds of millions of dollars just to broadcast SEC uh, you know, football games and now basketball games. Big Ten basketball has always been a big money maker. So this is going to be interesting. Can they pay the athletes? I mean, that's what the Supreme Court, they're saying they're going to hear this in uh, 2021 and their, ex- their decision is expected before the end of June. Now, the NCAA said that the ruling, quote, effectively creates a pay-for-play system for all student-athletes, allowing them to be paid both unlimited amounts of for participating in, in, in internships, an additional $5,600 or more each year that they remain eligible and uh, that uh, to play their sport. You know, is it coming to that sports in college are going to become literally professional sports? They're going to become the the minor leagues of just professional teams? I think that's the case. Now, to be clear, Dave, I'm the last guy you should be asking about the operation of sports businesses, college or professional, meaning not who gets paid. That's a justice issue. That's an economic issue. But how sports teams operate, uh, you're asking the wrong guy. But I have enough knowledge, albeit excuse me, highly limited, uh, to say that I think that's right. It's going to move more into the framework of a a AAA ball kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because the NCAA uh, made the announcement again last year and they're moving forward with this to permit athletes to be compensated for the use of their names, images, and likenesses. That should open opportunities for athletes to be paid for endorsements and sponsorship deals for appearances and for promoting products or events on social media accounts. And I got to say, I see nothing wrong with that. Where's that money going if it's not going at least to the athlete that they're making the money off of? That's the key, Dave, right? That you've, you've honed in on exactly the question, which is, oh, no, it's a bad thing for that money to be blah, 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 blah. I can't even repeat the nonsensical arguments made uh, in the opposition because that money's coming in. It's just going into the pockets of some rich uh, coach living over in Maumelle or somewhere else while the athlete is doing his thing like any other student, even though the school is making money off of him. Uh, sorry, that's the athlete's property that you're stealing, and enough is enough. Well, you're 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 literally stealing, uh, you know, his name and uh, his likeness. And you know, once he leaves college, you can't do that anymore. You got to get the, the approval of the athlete of to use their image. So that's something for everybody to keep in mind. By the way, let me just tell everybody. If you play uh, trivia games, here's a name to remember. Shawnee Alston. Shawnee Alston, because he is the former West Virginia football player who got this case underway. He'll become a big trivia name, and just like uh, Maury Wills, who started free agency in baseball, this guy's name will be out there as uh, something to remember in trivia. Shawnee Austin. So keep that in mind. Might be worth some money to you someday. All right. It's uh, 743. Let's take a break. When I come back, I want to talk to you about what's going on in the uh, wild and woolly world 
of uh, state politics. We had a great first hour today, and uh, I had forgotten a couple of things that uh, Seth brought up that were really important, Robert. For instance, the uh, the redistrib- redistribution, the resetting of the of the districts here in um, Arkansas for voting means that every politician other than Tom Cotton has to run for re-election. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes. That's, and, and so what, it's two years from now, right? That's in 22. That's when they're going to have to all rerun again. So and, all the senators, even like our good friend Dan, who just got elected, Dan Sullivan, he's going to have yeah. to run for re-election again. That's correct. Wow. You'll have wow. to run for re- The only person who does not have to run for re-election is Tom Cotton, because he was just re-elected for six more years. Right, and he's statewide as well. Yes, so. that's correct. So, But all the right. congressmen and uh, everybody else, yeah, they got to run. That's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out. And the other story, and we, we, can, we can talk about this, that uh, former Governor Mike Huckabee has moved back to uh, Arkansas, I saw that. And you know what that tells me? Sarah's going to run. Well, I think there's no doubt at this point, frankly. I I think it's clear that Sarah's going to run. And as we've discussed many times, and we'll discuss after the break, uh, it's going to be a contest between uh, Tim Griffin and Sarah. I believe so. I, Mm -hmm. I really do believe so. So let's come back and we'll talk further here on the Dave Ellswick Show in just a moment. Quarter till eight. Don't forget about my good friend David Lucas. David Lucas has a guide for you who are watching on uh, uh, Facebook right now. There it is. The Ultimate Retirement Planning Checklist. Are you ready to retire? And if you're planning on retiring over the next five years, I got to tell you, you need one of these. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I've got it opened up a little bit and you can see all the, the PowerPoints that are there and what you need to be thinking about. For instance, just under healthcare, I understand all my options for Medicare. I know what Medicare will and won't cover. I know the longer I live, the more expensive my healthcare will be. I've considered all my options for long-term care. That's a huge one. Long-term care is a huge one. That can literally suck up all the money you've, you've saved for retirement in a heartbeat. I mean, they can say, yeah, we'll take care of you. But we want everything you own, basically. So uh, there's stuff that you got to look into. you got to know what you're doing, or you can go off the tracks real quick. So be one of the first 10 callers this morning to get a copy of this. Uh, call 501-222-3315. That's 501-222-3315 to get your uh, copy of the Ultimate Retirement Planning Checklist. 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. All right, back with me, my good friend and uh, uh, law professor, uh, of course, Robert Steinbach. And uh, don't forget, uh, Robert, you, you'll want to hear this segment in the 6 o'clock hour. At 6.05, I will have Peter Wood on. Peter Wood is. Oh, nice. He's written a new book, and you may have seen it, uh, 1620, which is a critique of the 1619 uh, BS that the New, the new York Times came out with. And uh, people need to hear this and, and listen to it and then fight 
you know, their school systems when they try to bring 1619 to the school system because they will try. I'm just saying they will try. All right. Uh, no, no, Dave, Dave, you're mistaken. They're not going to try. They're already doing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. I don't know how much. I don't know where in Arkansas they're doing it yet. I haven't. I haven't. That had anybody, I don't know. I haven't had anybody call me. Uh, in fact, if you're listening right now and you've heard about, you've heard this thing, and you say, "What is a 1619 pro?" And they're teaching it in your school. Please uh, call Heidi. Right here, eight two three zero nine six five, and tell me what school district, and she'll take the information and she'll give it to me, because this has got to be stopped in its tracks. It cannot get a firm foothold, and I it, it started off real diligently, looked like it was going to be getting a solid foothold, and then a lot of historians uh, stood up and said, "We're calling BS on this." And, and and rightly so, because that's what it is. All right, so let's, let's talk some about January 11th. That's going to be the uh, the start of the new general uh, session with the uh, legislature. Tomorrow, I got some people coming on that you're not going to want to miss. About 6.15, uh, State Senator Ballinger is going to stop into the studio along with the NRA. And guess what Fantastic. we're going to talk about? I'm guessing guns. Yeah, we're going to talk about guns, but we're going to talk specifically <laughs> about Stand Your Ground, which two years ago, State Senator John Cooper threw a monkey wrench into that. And now we've got State Senator Dan uh, uh, Sullivan. Sullivan. I want to Sullivan. say Dan Douglas, and that's not right. Dan Sullivan uh, sitting in there, and he is firmly, and I do mean firmly, uh, set for Stand Your Ground. So I'm thinking in the Senate, judiciary we should be in pretty good shape i'm not so sure i keep hearing interesting things coming out of the house judiciary have, have you been hearing weird things out of the house judiciary i don't know i haven't heard anything one way or the other of course aaron pilkington is the house uh sponsor of that bill last time and i presume this time as well he bob ballinger dan sullivan and several others uh, came to a presentation at the law school on Stand Your Ground, sponsored by the Second Amendment Society. Uh, I'm the faculty advisor for that. Uh, and it really was a wonderfully attended and wonderfully presented discussion. And it's clear that now we've got the numbers to pass that bill. With that said, I'm not trying to uh, conflict with your question, meaning uh, we had the numbers last time, uh, but John Cooper threw that into a monkey wrench uh, because he became incumbent to leftists. And that's perhaps the primary reason he was not reelected. Dan Sullivan is an all around better uh, candidate and now uh, state senator. So it's a win win. Uh, But I think the primary reason that John Cooper lost was his failure to have a commitment to the Second Amendment, coupled with, to be clear, his outright lie when he said, well, I discovered that buried in that bill (laughs) is the ability to murder people. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Dave, I I read the bill. Uh, I I dare say, uh, with some uh, perhaps uh, risking immodesty, I'm a law professor, and I couldn't find that in the bill. Well, that's because it wasn't in there. 
Well, indeed, right? <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, what's the saying? You know, when you uh, w- w- if you put one hand on on either cheek, you still can't find your. Well, I'll let yeah. I'll let the audience figure out the rest of it. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm not sure John Cooper was looking for the right thing, shall yes. we say? I I um, agree wholeheartedly. But we don't have to worry about him. Here's the That's key: right. we just got to make sure we can get it out of committee. Because if he gets on the floor of the house. If it gets onto the floor of the Senate and brought to a vote, it's going to pass. Indeed, 100 percent. That's that's the bottom line. We just got to make sure it gets out of committee and that it gets out of uh, uh, in the House and in the Senate, because that's what stopped it the last time we got stopped in the in the judiciary in the Senate. And uh, we, we're going to keep that from happening this time. Now we got to keep our eye on the House and make sure no monkey business is going on over there and get it out on the floor and get an up or down vote on it and it will pass. So tomorrow uh, I've got uh, Ballinger and I got the NRA on to talk about it because that's going to be it's going to awesome. be a big, big topic. It will be a big, big <laughs> topic huge. again as, as usual. Uh, so stand your ground. Know that's coming back up. Now, the other really big topic is going to be hate crime legislation. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the governor, I still... I can't understand why he is is throwing so much political capital at this. Uh, I, maybe it has to do with, I was told by R.D. Hopper when he was at the uh, state meeting here just a f- uh, couple, what, last weekend, weekend before, uh, told me that he was talking to a particular state representative and that person said it was important because it would draw businesses to Arkansas, that some businesses would stay away because we don't have hate crime legislation. You know, is that going to be how we're going to make bills in the state of Arkansas? You know what will bring business to Arkansas? Cutting taxes for real. That's what will bring businesses uh, to Arkansas. It don't, I can tell you what, if you have low taxation for businesses it won't matter whether you got hate crime legislation or not they'll come here dave it's even more than that that claim by that unnamed uh legislator is nonsense right this is the biggest problem we see today when it comes to legislation is legislators and governors, et cetera, anybody, these elected officials, they come out and say, well, we've got to pass a bill that X, Y, Z, A, B, C, because if we don't, someone else is going to do something bad to us. Yeah. First of all, <clears throat> I'm not going to be blackmailed. That's the first thing. Second of all, it's a lie. There ain't no blackmailer out there. It's a way that an elected hack can go out there, not take ownership for a bill that he's supporting because he's in the back pocket of some lobbyist and claim that he must do it, notwithstanding his commitment to freedom to the contrary, because it's good uh, financially, economically, or some other made-up reason. These are lies, Dave, and I will come on your show (laughs) and call out each one of them. Okay. Robert, I got to let you go. Thanks so much. The Dave Ellswick Show, 6 o'clock. Don't miss it.
Six o'clock hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and we have Peter Wood with us today. Peter, I got to tell you, I've been talking about this show uh, for two weeks now and telling people not to miss it because you have written a seminal book that everybody needs to read because there is fights brewing across school systems all across America and here in Arkansas as well about whether we're going to have truthful history or whether we're going to have history coming right out of the book 1984. Thank you for writing the book that you've written. You're welcome, and thank you for having me on. I mean, this is crazy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, Orwell was right. You know, whoever writes history writes the future, and, and that's what's happening now. And that's what's going on. We're, we're having a fight over something we shouldn't be having a fight over. I mean, his, history is something that you can study and you can find the truth in. And there are people coming out and, and publishing just falsehoods now and saying that it's truth. And then you, who are true historians, now are standing up and saying, whoa, wait a second here. Say what? You know, I'm liking what, you're, what you all are doing because uh, when the New York Times came out and got behind this whole 1619 project, I guess I need to set up for our listeners. 1619 basically says there was a slave ship that landed on the shores of America, and everything that germinated out of that uh, ship landing on the shores of America, uh, everything that has been created in America is based on racism and slavery. And that's just false. It is absolutely a false uh, history. Can, uh, you, you're right. You've written 1620. Was it you seeing this as well that you said, I've got to say something? Well, I woke up on the morning of uh, Sunday, August 18th, 2019, to find the New York Times on my doorstep. And it included this special supplement of its um, uh, weekly magazine, New York Times magazine, titled The 1619 Project. I read most of it then and there. It's 100 pages long. And by the end of that, I said, I've got to do something. This thing is full of falsehoods. It's being presented with the voice of authority of one of America's uh, leading papers. And it is also being presented as something that should be taught in our schools. Mm -hmm. That just can't stand. So being the head of an association of scholars, I called my staff together the next morning and said, you've got to develop an answer to this and do it quickly. So we started by rounding up historians and interviewing them and creating videos and things like that. Um, But by uh, January of this year, it was clear more needed to be done. And that's when I started work on the book. Um, your description of what it says is, is accurate, but the levels of, uh, of perfidy in it are uh, so deep that it takes a few minutes to explain it. Yes, slaves did arrive in Virginia 
in August of 1619. They were brought here not because the Virginians wanted them, but because a pirate ship, English pirates under a Dutch flag, had intercepted a Spanish slave ship in the Caribbean, had taken the slaves and sold most of them in Bermuda, but it had 20-some left over. It sailed north, got caught in an Atlantic storm, was running out of food. They put in at uh, Virginia, at Jamestown, and traded their slaves for uh, food, and then they left. Virginians didn't recognize slavery, so the slaves, the moment they set foot on dry land, were no longer slaves. Virginia turned them into indentured servants, mm-hmm. and, in, and like most of the other settlers in Virginia at that time, they were just assimilated. Uh, in a few years, they were free, they intermarried with the white population. They became landowners. They had lawsuits against white neighbors in their courts, and Virginia stood behind them. We know that they were full citizens in the sense of everyone else at that time. So what happened in 1619, bizarrely, was an early experiment in racial integration. Slavery, that horrible institution, lay some 50 years in the future. So the Times begins the law with a lie and then compounds the lie by saying that what happened in 1619 was the beginning of four centuries of misery and enslavement and denial of rights. Well, some of those things were to come, but that's not where they began. Then this, this casual attitude towards facts, towards truth-telling, pervades the whole project. Uh, it claims, for example, that the American Revolution was fought by the patriots uh, in order to preserve the institution of slavery from a threat that the British might abolish it. Mm-hmm. Well, the British were the biggest slave traders in the world at that point and had no interest whatsoever in abolishing slavery. There were no living Americans in 1775, 1776 who thought that that was a threat. We do know why the revolution was fought. There's this uh, handy little document called the Declaration of Independence, which lays out about 30 reasons why the colonists should reject the crown, and uh, the fear that ending slavery was not one of them, Um, and so on. It's this kind of uh, just casual disregard for known historical fact and making things up out of thin air that is the characteristics of this project. Of course, it's all done for a reason. The, uh, the 1619 project is meant to stoke racial division. It's meant to stir resentment and acrimony, and it has done what it was meant to do. The, uh, when the riots broke out this last summer, um, people went around spray painting 1619 on the monuments they were about to topple. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Riots themselves were proudly called by the New York Times' lead writer on this, Nicole Hannah-Jones. She called them the 1619 riots. Um, so people were reaping what they sowed. They wanted racial division and uh, attack, and that's what they got. Well, I'm so glad that you've written this book because I believe, and uh, many, many other people believe, that thoughts have power 
And uh, we've got to get in and fight back against the 1619, just like I fight against Howard Zinn and and his view of American history. He's got so many erroneous statements in his historical book. I, I try to get schools not to use his book. I go to school boards and speak out against it. I think that's the kind of stuff that has to happen. Well, the 1619 Project is uh, kind of Howard Zinn updated, or Howard Zinn on steroids. Howard Zinn's book, despite good efforts of people like you, continues to be taught in many American schools. It's just anti-American propaganda. Yep. Um, the, the promoters of the 1619 Project, not so incidentally, have uh, adopted I mean, the promoters of Howard Zinn's book have adopted the 1619 Project. They've made it, promoting it part of their agenda. Um, So it's all of one piece. The people who think of America as a terrible place that deride our ideals as illusions and call for some kind of utopian revolution um, are one and the same. These are... are, uh, uh, a contingent of radical, disaffected folks who take it as their main project now to poison the minds of the next generation. So getting hold of the schools is what they want to do, and it's certainly what the New York Times set out to do. This project is not just a standalone magazine or a set of ideas floating around in the culture. It is a curriculum being taught in our schools. Yeah, not not to belabor the Howard Zinn, Zinn uh, argument, but the bottom line, the guy was a socialist. I would say he was a communist, in fact, and uh, he saw American history as a oppressor versus the oppressed, and uh, the, the traditional, you know, socialist viewpoint, a, a Marxist kind of a view, and uh, that's how he wrote his history. Well, he he wasn't. Uh just a communist in theory, he belonged to the American Communist Party. Yes. He, he was a teacher at Boston University, where I was also a professor, and I knew him slightly. Uh, so I have a firsthand impression of Howard Zinn as somebody who was as dangerous or radical as you could ever find. Hmm. Interesting. Let's go back to 1619. Why... With a paper, I mean, I I know that the the New York Times, the the Gray Lady, has has veered seriously to the left over the last uh, ten fifteen years, maybe longer than that. But the bottom line is, why would they wrap their hands around this and offer it to the American people as truth when it's just so very actually false? Well, I can speculate a few reasons. Uh, one was that the Mueller investigation had just folded and the Times had gone all in on the idea that that investigation was going to bring down President Trump. When it failed to, they held a high-level meeting, uh, the minutes of which were leaked, in which they decided that they were going to pivot away from collusion with Russia to the idea that Trump was a racist. And to that end, they needed to pump up uh, attention to racial grievance. As it happened, Nicole Hannah-Jones had already been working on some kind of commemorative project for the 400th anniversary of the Jamestown slavery episode. And uh, they adopted that and decided to go all in. So they spent, 
I estimate well over $10 million promoting this. They have a Super Bowl wow. advertisement. They, they've made it their signature issue for the last year. So why did they do that? Well, first of all, there was the agenda to bring down Trump. But behind that is the time zone internal turmoil. Uh, it has, as you said, been veering leftward for quite some time. But um, in the last few years, it's had its own internal racial issues going on. They've hired a lot of woke activists in the newsroom who were just eager to say the Times has to go on record as being ever vigilant against white supremacy in all its myriad forms that they imagined exist. And out of that came this uh, notion that uh, you couldn't really say no to Hannah Jones and her uh, friends. Uh, the project was framed as a history rewriting, but not a single one of the uh, uh, people who wrote for it could really claim expertise in, in history. They were a, a collection of basically activist writers and uh, varying fields and varying credentials, but uh, this was a, an effort to make sure that the story was told only by black people and without any uh, real uh, review or critique. The outrage that came from American historians after it was published over its manifold falsehoods was just brushed aside by the Times. They would have nothing to do with it. They would not accept even very basic criticisms of the factual claims made until uh, seven months after it was published. Another historian came forward, a woman named Leslie Harris, who was the actual New York Times fact checker. And she put up on a, a website called Politico her account of how she told them in advance that these things aren't true. They refused to make the changes. Well, because Leslie Harris was one of their own and is a black historian, the Times had to take notice of that. And they made one tiny change in the whole project in light of her revelations. Instead of saying that all the patriots were fighting in the American Revolution to protect slavery, they said only some of them were. No. The truth, however, is that none of them were. And this is just a, a tiny face-saving gesture by the Times, but it speaks volumes about their mendacity, their, their readiness to, to lie and to deceive. Um, well, all of this, of course, wouldn't matter very much if it was just a bunch of leftists talking to other leftists. Correct. But it's not that. This is something that has become a curriculum. It has been taught in our schools. It's broken down by grade level. So children as early as kindergarten are being told this is the truth. And, of course, young children have no basis to think otherwise. If their teachers, the main authorities in their lives, are telling them this is so, they're going to believe it, and they're going to carry it forward for the rest of their lives as sort of the most basic thing. Um, so learning that America is a slaveocracy, that's a Times word, uh, that our whole history is consisted of uh, white supremacists putting down blacks, and that the consequence of this has been that blacks have never received any help or support from um, uh, people other than themselves. And that's a pretty serious 
distortion of our yeah. country. Yeah, and it erases the abolition movement, the Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement, all all gone in the wash of uh, uh, resentment-colored ink. Peter Wood is my guest. He's written the book 1620, a critique of 1619. Uh, if you've not heard about it, you need to educate yourself on it. It is serious. It's in your school systems. You need to stop it. We'll come back and finish up our conversation right after this. Final segment with uh, Peter Wood. And Peter, I, I, I'm going to try to set up to have you back on because this is such a serious thing that we got to talk about. You know, Orwell was so right when he said those who control uh, history and rewrite history control the future. And that is exactly what leftists are trying to do in our country now. I love this country too much to to just not to go down, not fighting over uh, truth. And this is this is just a pure fabricated falsehood that has been pushed on 1619. But uh, the schools uh, are, are using it to, uh, I guess, indoctrinate, uh, you know, young people here in the United States. I think that's exactly what's happening. Um, it's indoctrination, but in some cases it's naive indoctrination. That is, the teachers themselves don't know better. They are also the, uh, the graduates of colleges and universities where they've been uh, given the woke doctrine themselves. So when they confront outrageously false claims about history, they take them at face value and they pass them on to their students in just that way. So we're into a, a kind of generational loop here of terrible ideas that are now being uh, laid out as facts. And that that deeply disturbs me. And I share your dedication to pushing back against this. This is a, uh, a monstrosity, really. It and truly it is. Now accelerated by our politics. We've got uh, apparently a new regime that's coming into place that is uh, finding favor with what's been happening. I think one way to view this is that the the, the sense of uh, let's do something good for African Americans Mm-hmm. What what good can we do? Well, well that 1619 project will do that uh, without realizing just how damaging it is to African-Americans. The, uh, the burden of the story is that you are helpless pawns of, of the oppressors. You've never been given a fair chance and you never will be. Your only real resort is to take total disaffection from this country uh, the achievements that have been made possible over centuries of struggle are rated as um, no value at all, since um, we're still suffering under this horrible oppression. What was this, what was what was this, what was this that Stalin said? Useful idiots. Yes. <laughs> well, the useful idiots are out in droves these days. Yes, they are. You 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 are correct. For my listeners' sake. How can they fight back on this stuff? I mean, they're not historical scholars. Is there, besides your book, is there any any groups that are uh, available to help them uh, present the real, true historical facts of this nation so you can fight back against your school board? Well, yes. Uh, there's a group uh, titled... Uh, uh, 
1776 unites. Uh, that's Robert Woodson in uh, Washington. Uh, it's a movement that is pushing back against this. The, the Heritage Foundation has assembled a coalition of uh, about a dozen or so groups that are looking to fight back against this in different ways. So there is organizational heft out there if you go looking for that. I also recognize that the school boards are really the uh, the battleground here. I don't know that every school board in the country has even an idea that the 1619 Project exists because it's been marketed over their heads directly to the teachers. Right. So it could be in your school and you can be a member of a school district or school board and not even know it's there or believe that it's not there when it really is. Um, I think one task here is to make sure that the members of school boards pay attention and have a clear idea of what's happening in their classrooms. If they do understand it and are against it, then fine. But if they're not against it, we need new school boards. Peter, i got to jump in. We're out of time. Thank you for the time. The book is 1620, A Critique of 1619. Give it for Christmas. We continue. We're going to move away now, change subjects on you. Um, my thanks again to Peter Wood, author of 1620, a critique of 1619. And I'm just telling you, this is an insidious uh, attack upon the history of America, the 1619 Project. And if you hear of your school district thinking about using 1619, you have got to show up in front of the school board and tell them absolutely not, and that if they do, you'll vote every one of them out of the school board. I'm just telling you, it's that important, because this is just a uh, flat-out lie uh, from the 1619. I thought Howard Zinn was bad. This is worse. And uh, my thanks to Peter Wood for joining us today in writing this book. Uh, A couple of things that he said, 1776 Unites, Search Them, and the Heritage Foundation both fighting uh, this battle uh, big time. Big news coming out at the state capitol yesterday. I've asked Jerry Cox to join us today from the Family Council. He was uh, there with the ones that put on the uh, uh, the press conference. And uh, we've been like two or three as far as most uh, pro-life states in the United States. And then yesterday it was announced we are now number one, the number one pro-life uh, state in the United States. Jerry, that's just fantastic news. Well, it's uh, the best news that we've had in a long time, I'm telling you. You know, Dave, uh, we set a goal about 10 years ago that really had two parts to it. One is to make Arkansas the most pro-life state in the nation. And the other is to just flat out end abortion in Arkansas. And, um, you know, this is that important milestone on the way to that ultimate goal of ending abortion. And so hats off to and credit to so many people. I mean, we went to the Capitol and we lobbied for good legislation. In fact, the legislature over the past four legislative sessions has passed 33 really good pro-life laws. Fantastic. Uh, the governor has signed them into law, and as soon as they they are challenged by the ACLU and Planned Parenthood, 
the attorney general has stepped up with her team, and she has defended these every step of the way. And a number of these good laws have been upheld by the Eighth Circuit, and they're actually in place, and they're being enforced. And so there's just so much good to talk about with that. And um, I just wish more people knew it, because it's hard to get the news out through the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a good story, and it's, it's really encouraging that we are winning this war, this pro-life battle. We're winning it on every front right now. Yeah, that's, in, that's really important for people to understand, because you are winning this war on the grassroots level. Now, politicians are getting in, involved with it, but... You've gone out, you and Rose Mims and others have gone out and you have educated people about abortion. You have shown them uh, through science why it's such a terrible, terrible thing. And uh, you're to be commended. You guys have made this possible. Well, I tell you. Arkansas Right to Life has been in this fight for over 40 years here in Arkansas. I've been in it. Family Council has been in it for over 30 years. And so this kind of success just doesn't happen overnight. It requires the faithfulness of lots and lots of people out here laboring many times in obscurity, laboring when nobody knows or cares. Um, There's just a lot that goes into that. I think about the ladies that run the pregnancy centers around the state. They're out there every day helping girls and women with unplanned pregnancies. I think about the efforts like 40 Days for Life and the Life Chain, um, abortion recovery ministries, and then I think about our churches that, that have stood for life. I think about the pastors that have stood in the pulpits and proclaimed the sanctity of human life. And I think about families that have just talked about this. One of my friends, Leon Holmes, uh, said one time, he said, if we ever, we, we need to keep talking about abortion and implying that if we ever stop talking about it, we're probably in trouble because that means the issue is settled. And the only time that I want to stop talking about it is when it's over. When, uh-huh. when it's a thing of the past, then I'd, I'd, I'd be good to stop talking about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Now, with this announcement, uh, as important as it is, and yesterday, let's just talk about some of the people that were there. You had the lieutenant governor there. The AG was there. Uh, I'm sure Jason Rapert was there. I couldn't be there. I had a, uh, I had a doctor's appointment. I had to get my wife to. But to talk about some of the important people that were there yesterday. Well, we had um, the Attorney General, we had uh, Leslie Rutledge, we had Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin, and then representing the Senate, we had State Senator Cecile Bledsoe, okay. and then representing the House, we had State Representative Robin Lundstrom. And then all the way from Washington, D.C., uh, we had Catherine Glenn Foster, who is the CEO and president of Americans United for Life, and they're the organization that does the state rankings every year. And they publish a um, a book, and they list all the states and the good things they've done and the things the states still need to do. And when I turn in that book to Arkansas, the need-to-do list is getting shorter and shorter 
but there's still there's still items on it. We need to pass a health care rights of conscience bill. Um, that's that's on the agenda right now, so that nobody can be forced to participate in an abortion or um, gender reassignment therapy or anything like that that goes against their conscience and their their religious beliefs. And so, it, it's important that we realize, Dave, that this is not the end. Uh, you know, w- we haven't won this. It's just a really important milestone. I feel like if this were a football game, man, we've broken through the line, and there's nothing between us and the goal line but lots of green grass. Yeah. And it's time for us to just haul off and run down the field. And I think about Jason Rapert's uh, bill to uh, make abortion illegal in Arkansas. And I told Jason, I said, Jason, we've been saying for over 40 years abortion ought to be illegal. Why don't we just do it? I believe it's time. Let's just do it. And let the courts chew on that. Give them a shot at overturning Roe v. Wade and letting every state make its own abortion laws the way it used to be. The way it should be. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Seriously, that's the way it should absolutely. be. But, Dave, let me, let me tell you a little um, a, a visual, paint a little visual image. In 2015, we worked with uh, Representative Robin Lundstrom to pass a really good woman's right to know law that the, the abortion facilities just have to really communicate with the women about what's about to happen. And then we had a waiting period in there. And we discovered that when that law went into effect, number one, the number of people going into the abortion clinics and getting information and the number getting abortions dropped by about 500 that year. Mm-hmm. And then we looked at the overall number of abortions that were done that year. It dropped by the same amount, about 500. So we have every reason to believe that in about 2016, about 500 children were not aborted because of a good law that we worked on and the legislature got passed. And my son David was calculating all that, and he said to me, he said, Dad, imagine this. Imagine in the fall of 2020, 500 little preschoolers with their little backpacks on walking through the door of a school building because we passed a good law. That's right. And the legislature did it. And not only that, but it's two or 300 the next year and maybe 500 the next year. And so we're not just talking about notches in a belt to say we passed another law. We are literally talking about saving the lives of the unborn and giving them a chance to live and grow up. David, it's the same chance you and I got. Mm -hmm. We may not have done it perfectly in growing up and being who we are, but God gave us a chance. And we've, you and I and all the rest of us have tried to make the best of it. That's what we're trying to give these children. And that's what these good laws do. And that's why we're in this fight. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Those 500 backpacks, I can visualize that. I really can. I can visualize that. And that makes me feel good. Yeah. Well, it should. Because it's a good thing. And so people want to call us all kinds of names, anti-choice, and all these other things and, and, and all that. But that's just, you know, goes with the territory. And I, I'm proud to take those arrows because I think those little lives are worth every bit of it. 
Yeah, I'm not worried. They call me everything they want to. They call me anything I haven't heard before, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I don't have any problem with that at all. So let's let's talk a little bit more about what are some things that you all, the next session is starting here in January. What are some of the things that uh, the family council is going to be uh, pushing as far as pro-life? We'll talk about that first. And I know what the big thing, the big battle is going to be, and we'll talk about it before we finish our, our interview sure. here. But let, well, let's talk about pro-life uh, yeah, legislation. On, on the pro-life side, I've already mentioned uh, Senator Rapert's um, bill to just flat out make abortion illegal. Um, you know, of course, that's going to be challenged in court, but we need to go ahead and do that and give the courts a chance to overturn Roe v. Wade. I think it's a good opportunity. So we'll be working on that. And then Luke McCoy on our staff has tried, uh, this will be the third session in a row, that we've been working on a health care rights of conscience bill that would simply say that if you are in the healthcare field, you can't be forced to participate in an abortion or in a um, sex change operation on a child or something like that, that you may just say, you know what, I just can't do that. And um, it has a bunch of caveats in there to protect people from being discriminated against and all that stuff. But Dave, we in America have over the centuries so valued a person's right of conscience that we would actually let them not take up arms in a in a war where our national survival hang in the, hung in the balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be a conscientious objector. And so I think over the last 50 years or so, rights of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom to stand on what you believe has really been pushed aside. It's almost like it's a secondary right that takes um, a backseat to all these other things that are out here, uh, the LGBT agenda and the the abortion agenda and all these other things. And so we want to be sure that rights of conscience are as respected as any other right, like free speech Absolutely. and uh, the right to protest and all these other things. So we're going to be working on that, uh, trying to get that bill passed again this time. So that's one that we, we want to work on. And then we have just some general pro-life laws that tweak certain parts of the uh, of the code. For example, there's one not so good definition of abortion that's in Arkansas law. We need to go in and make that consistent with all the other proper definitions that are in there. And so there 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 will be some cleanup kind of language. Um, Things involving inspections of these abortion facilities, um, I have reason to believe that the health department doesn't always get to see everything when they walk into some of these abortion facilities. And I think it ought to be a crime to knowingly conceal uh, information from uh, an inspector that way. Oh, well, yeah. Um, uh, you know, just things like that. Now, I don't have proof that they're hiding something over there, but Dave... If they'll do abortions, what other things might people engage in mm-hmm. there? Right, and um, and so that's that's just something that um, that we need to to clean up and and look at. So there will be a number of things in that area that we'll be working on, and um, um, 
we have some other things on the Americans United for Life list that they say we need to do to strengthen our abortion laws here in Arkansas, like reporting and things like that. But the big heavy lift items will be rights of conscience and Jason Rapert's uh, ban on abortions. And that those are big, very big. All right. We got to get a break in, uh, Jerry. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the big 800 pound gorilla. It's sitting out there. We'll talk about it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 101.1 FM, The Answer. Final segment of the 6 o'clock hour. Jerry Cox is with us, Family Council. We just got done talking about uh, uh, abortion and that Arkansas now is the number one most pro-life state in the United States. What a great, great thing to say about our state. And then secondly... I told him as we came back, we're going to take on the 800-pound gorilla. He knew exactly what I was talking about. And, and Jerry, hate crime legislation, it's already heating up. The discussion is heating up. The uh, legislature is going to get back together. Hendren has written a piece of legislation, hate crime legislation. It looks like there's more Democrats uh, backing it than there are Republicans. Um, maybe you can answer this question because I'm sure you've talked to the governor why is he willing to expend so much capital on this? Well, Dave, indeed, I have spoken with the governor about it. I spent some time sitting in his office visiting with him about it. And um, I, I really cannot um, understand why his resolve for passing this is so deep. I, I don't know. But I do know his resolve is very deep, that he, the governor really wants to pass this law, and so does Senator Hendren. So um, that makes a formidable battle right there over it. I think the majority of the legislature is, uh, no, we don't need a hate crimes law. Why do we need this? It, it doesn't do any good. And I think the majority of the people around Arkansas would be the same way. It's, it's like, why do we need this? Um, these laws don't, don't work. Uh, lots of other states have them. They've never even deterred a hate crime anywhere, as far as we know, because the people that do these awful deeds don't wake up and say, oh, my, we've got a hate crimes law. I can't go to Walmart and shoot a bunch of people. Right. It just it, it doesn't work that way. Or somebody who wants to hurt a person because of their ethnicity or whatever, they don't wake up and say, well, we have a hate crimes law. I guess I can't go hurt that person because I don't like their flavor or whatever it is. It just doesn't work that way. There are other solutions that we need to look at. But this is a classic political move where politicians check a box and they say, we got a hate crimes law just like everybody else. We have addressed racism and hatred and bigotry and all these things. And then they just move on. And you turn around, and it's like nothing changes. Nothing changes. And that's the tragedy of these hate crimes laws. Plus, they become weaponized by the cancel culture that wants everything. That Every time they get offended, it's a hate crime. They'll turn that on people of faith and other kinds of folks and try to silence them and use it against them. And um, we, we see Little Rock's already passed a city ordinance now, uh, hate crimes ordinance, and so is Fayetteville. And so this has emboldened cities around the state of Arkansas already to start trying to do their own versions that may even go farther than the bill the governor's talking right. about. They could do that. Okay, so 
The uh, Republican Party got together a couple of weeks ago. They elected a new chairman uh, uh, for the for the state party, things of that nature. R.D. Hopper was there, and I was talking to R.D., and he was talking about this on the air. We didn't name the representative that he was talking to uh, because uh, come uh, January, they no longer will be a representative. But they told R.D. that we needed to pass this law because without passing this law, there were companies that weren't going to come do business in Arkansas. I can't believe that representatives would pass legislation just because they know, you know, you know, other than, you know, really smart legislation like tax you know, changes and things of that nature that would really draw businesses here, but that we would be let ourselves be held hostage this way. Well, I heard a, uh, a, a state legislator say the other day, he said, you know, if there are people that won't come to Arkansas just because we don't have a hate crimes law, he said, maybe they just ought to stay where they are yeah, I like and not that. come here. And, and you know, I want our state to be welcoming to all kinds of people. But a hate crimes law is is just a facade. It's it, it doesn't it doesn't do what the people that are promoting it want it to do. It's just window dressing. And Dave, I'm sick of politics being just window dressing and and people acting like they did something good when they really didn't. And uh, and that's what we're facing with with this. Uh, Plus, it does have a bunch of unintended consequences, as I've said earlier. You put that in the hands of the cancel culture that wants to silence everybody and claim that you're hateful if you disagree with them, then that's a bad recipe there, and we just don't need it. And um, I just hope the legislature will keep their resolve and not wilt when the pressure gets turned on when the corporations start calling them and saying we need to pass this to look good, um, that that they'll hold firm. Uh, and people need to talk to their state reps and their state senators because they need to be able to turn around and say, hey, I've heard from my people back home, and they're telling me they don't want this, and I'm here to represent my people, not corporate America, and um, that kind of thing. So it'll be a fight, and we're we're ready for it. We fought it before. Mark Pryor, when he was attorney general, made a big push uh, back in 2003, and we fought it and beat it back then. In fact, Dave, we have fought this thing, This I think, seven legislative sessions over the past 25 years. Wow. We have fought it that many times, and we're ready to fight it again. All right. Jerry, where do people go to to help you fight? Well, our website is Family Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, FamilyCouncil.org, and they can probe around on there and find out what they need to know or just pick up the phone and give us a call here at the office at 501-375-7000, 375-7000, and we're here to answer the phone and visit with whoever wants to call us. All right. Jerry Cox, thank you so much. Appreciate to have you. I'll talk to everybody tomorrow at 6 a.m. Don't forget, Senator Bob Ballinger, NRA, in first on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey,